you are in the perfect place at the divine time to be touched by a horse. Here's your hosts, Melissa Pierce and Dane Cheek. Hey, hello again, everybody. This is Melissa. And this is Dane. Nice to be with you again. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning into these. You know, we've had great response on this podcast, and I love that. I love hearing from people who are listening to our podcast. And if you have anything you want to write directly to me or to our office, the company touchedbyahorse.com, you can put my first name, M-E-L-I-S-A, at touchedbyahorse.com or to the office at touchedbyahorse.com, and I will see them and read them and to the best of my ability, respond as time permits. And if you're interested in writing to Dane, you can still send it through me. He's one of those lucky people that doesn't have a ton of email. So, but if you want to make a comment to him, he's happy to see that through our email. So that'd be great. One of the things that I ended up doing last year and speaking about a lot last year was developing emotionally healthy horses. Because as you know, I'm all about emotionally healthy people, right? And that's the work that I do as a therapist and a coach. And my horses are my partners in this work. But a part of my life has been, a large part of my life has been as a professional breeder of horses, both my Arizona facility and in Colorado. By the time you and I were together, I believe I had my last mare who was bred and foaled on that property. Do you remember when that little baby was born? Oh yeah, I do. Solo. Solo. Yeah, Yeah, solo. Yeah. And uh, it was just an incredible thing to witness, yeah. just uh, the whole situation. Right. <laughs> That's a male answer, the whole situation. And that absolutely is the truth. I had this really cute little mare. Her name was Up to Something. And she was in foal and due to foal out. And she did one morning, had this beautiful paint colt. And I named him Solo because as a breeder, I really don't believe in having one colt born all by itself. Really hard for them to grow up and have good manners or a realistic picture of the horse world being by themselves, but it's the way life worked out for me. And, and I was so glad you got to have that experience because it's it's a one of a kind. So what do you remember about like when you first were in my life, you remember Gobar real well, right? Oh yeah. Me not knowing a lot about horses. He was pretty much a gentle giant. Yeah, he was. Because we would go into his pen mm-hmm. and you would always be saying things to the nature of you shouldn't be in there. Well, you, yeah, I feel right. like <laughs> I feel like you might be in over your head a little bit, but he was such a gentle giant. He was a stallion and he was a three-time world champion horse, just an amazing athlete, an amazing horse in the show ring. And over the course of time from him plus a stallion station that I operated in Arizona, we had a lot of stallions and worked with a lot of stallions and bred a ton of mares. Probably one of the happiest parts that I'll think about rocking in my rocking chair one day is the opportunity to midwife 250 foals into the world. And they weren't all his, they were different ones. When we were operating the breeding station, the people would send mares in foal, hoping to get them rebred to the stallion whatever stallion we were standing. And so we were foaling out a lot of babies. And, you know, people always ask, well, gosh, you must not have gotten very much sleep. But we really used a terrific system called the foal alert. And 
the full alert is a magnet system that's literally sewn into the vulva of the mare when she's close to getting ready to foal. And when the sac originally comes out, it breaks the contact between the two magnets and it sets off your cell phone to start saying, hey, you've got a baby coming through. And so we didn't miss the babies being born. And gosh, prior to that... Before that system came along, I was like everybody else. I was waking up every hour or two all night long to see if there was a new baby there and if the mayor needed help and all of that kind of thing. But really, after full alert, I had a chance to witness and be a part of well over 200, close to 250 foals coming into the world. I don't believe you used the the full alert on solo. I didn't use a full alert on solo because it was just one mare. We had moved from my big breeding farm. And so it was much more of a, you know, quieter setup. It wasn't a professional breeding setup at that point in my career. So no, I did not with Solo. So I missed his actual entry into the world. But what an adorable baby. He was really a cutie. So people ask me because I've had a deep and long career in breeding horses and bringing babies into the world and what creates an emotionally healthy horse is a big part of who I am. I believe that women like Jane Goodall, who taught the world a lot about the apes and their communication system and their emotions and the fact that they were in family bonds, etc. And certainly people have done that for the sea creatures of whales, etc. And people early like Jacques Cousteau, who very early on in the 60s, 70s, and 80s was talking about how whales communicate and how dolphins are out there to offer safe harbor and protection to ships. A lot of things that today in 2021 are taken for granted as being truth were really new thought in the 70s and 80s. And I was one of those people speaking about horses among other people who did that. But when I would say to horsemen or express that feeling to maybe a rancher or a trainer, etc., that horses have a broad and deep emotional field, that was definitely new thought. I mean, I was told uh, many times, oh, I don't think horses experience grief at all. And I stand here as a human that says, oh, yes, they do. They know when they've lost a pasture mate, they feel grief when they've lost a human partner, and they do have a broad field of emotions. Yeah, I think I've witnessed that firsthand. Mm -hmm. Maybe because you don't have a big depth field in horses, and you're a sensitive person, you're able to see that. Yeah, see that in them for sure. So part of what people ask me is, where does that start for a horse to be emotionally healthy? And I actually think I've had the privilege of deciding what mare will be crossed with what stallion. And not all of us have that opportunity in life. And these are some of the things that I've learned. One, I believe that most male horses should be geldings. We always say the perfect horse is the gelding. He's not troubled with hormonal systems like the mare is. He's not full of testosterone like the stallion is. And so that's really the ideal horse is always, almost every breed will tell you the ideal for people is the gelding. However, a few rare horses who are excellent both confirmationally 
but also in their attitude around humans and how they treat other horses of their own kind, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That is paramount. And so it's a very small percentage of them that should remain as an intact stallion. There are a lot of people that have horses they love. They have male horses they love who look really pretty to them and who seem really nice by temperament, and they keep them a stallion when they actually should not. So that's my professional opinion is the best of the best of the best should procreate more on this planet. Now, the mares, another thing for the breeder to think about is it if you have a stallion and he earns X number of dollars for his breeding fee and you need money for your farm, do you breed any mare that comes along? Anybody says, oh, I love your stallion. I want to breed to my mare. And there's a lot of business decisions in that and a lot of ideas around that. And I could give a whole podcast on making that decision correctly. But the truth of it is, a lot of the temperament of the foal, a lot of the natural personality of the foal and how they see the world comes from that mare. So not only do we want the best confirmation mares that we can, so if we have a mare who, let's say, is navicular, and so people say, oh, well, we'll breed her because she can't be ridden, but actually that's a confirmation fault. And so anything like that, we need to be discerning about, you know, there's plenty of horses without a home, right? Just like dogs and cats and everything else. If you're going to create another horse on the planet, you need to make sure you're making your selection the best to the best. So how do I know these mares contribute so much of this temperament? probably from watching and breeding so many horses and just noticing the crosses and especially the crosses that are the same mare and the same stallion, but different foals. Like, have you ever wondered why? Well, you have a sister. So your mom and your dad had you and your mom and your dad had your sister and you have very different personalities, you know? That's for sure. That's for sure. And very different personalities, very different perspectives on life, you know, all of that. And it's the same in horses. You can have, you know, a wonderful cross, cross them again and get a different result. So that's genetics, right? That's the world of genetics. So in here, looking at crossing them, I think making that best selection for the best temperament you can is really a good idea. You remember my daughter Molly's big red and white horse, Bali, Bali Bar? Oh, Do you yeah, remember, I remember him? Bali. Yeah, I remember Bali. So he ended up not being emotionally sound. And one of the reasons why, in fact, he was so unemotionally sound around me personally. He was great with her, but he wasn't comfortable around me. And he was a big lesson for me. His dam, his mother was a mare named Tripoli, like the card game. And she was a beautiful bay and white paint mare. She was one of Gobar's favorite wives. He just adored her. And she had had a couple of foals with him over the years. And she was in foal again, her third time to him over about six years. And one day, one of the barn workers was in Arizona, and he came running up so fast to my office and telling me, you know, she's in trouble. She's colicking. She's in trouble. You know, I dropped everything, ran down to the barn, and I 
quickly realized I didn't think she was colicking. I thought the baby was coming too soon. The foal was coming too soon. She was about seven weeks before her due date. And if you don't know, mares are in foal on average 11 months, 11 days. So they're close to a year that they're in foal. 11 months, 11 days is the average. So we had the vet en route and the vet showed up and checked everything. And the vet said, that foal is no longer alive. It's inside your mare. We need to give her some potassium and have her deliver this foal. And what's going to be safest for her is for her to do it on her feet, not laying down. So we brought this foal, sadly, with tears in my eyes and crying all over the place, this already deceased foal into the world. When he came out and when he dropped, I reached for him, even though I knew he was deceased, I didn't want him to drop onto the ground like a sack of potatoes. My heart couldn't take it. So I reached and grabbed the sack and him and just kind of easily laid him on the ground. And as fate would have it, he was a gorgeous black and white and bay tricolor paint colt, just really striking. So what had happened to him was she had twisted the umbilical cord twice and he suffocated internal to her, which is rare, but it can happen in breeding horses. So here, this is the lesson she taught me. Here was this gorgeous foal. She passes her afterbirth. The vet is still at her head. I'm at her rear with the foal. We let her turn around and see the foal because for the mare, it's the best way for them to accept and to understand that their foal is in fact dead. And the only way they're going to get that through to themselves is much like humans is to see the baby. So as painful as it was for the mare, she sniffs this baby, she paws him, she nudges him with her nose. It occurs to her he's not moving, he's not alive, but her big brown eyes came up to me. I was squatted down and kneeling down over him and her eye met my eye and I will never forget. Now this mare was like a puppy with me. She loved me and I loved her. She looked at me and met my eye. And I knew in that moment I had made a terrible mistake because she imprinted somehow adding up two and two and making it five that I had something to do with the death of her foal. And she got very quiet. She turned away from me and her own grieving was her next process as we went on and I was grieving too. The following year, we had rebred her to Gobar and she was in foal and we brought her up. We had a 36 stall barn and the, I guess it would be the side to the west, the west side of the barn that the stalls at the far end in the foaling season, we would take the center panels out. So they were 24 by 12 instead of 12 by 12. Had a big banner. I called it my maternity ward. And we brought her up, which we were using used to doing with all of them a couple weeks before they would foal. And she was healthy and she looked good and she seemed good and was all good. So we brought her up along with the other mares that was their time to come up. We put the foal alert on her. Everything was great. But when I would walk by the barn aisle, instead of being my sweet dear Tripoli, she would race to the bars of the stall and run her teeth back and forth on those bars with her ears pinned, that 
third eyelid that a horse drops when they're really angry. And just like she would rip me a new one if she could, she would just go after me. And she was threatening me with all she had. She was threatening me, do not come in this stall. So I thank goodness I had a good staff and I said, I'm not sure what that's about for her, but I want to respect her wishes. So I'm not going in with this mare. And they took over the process. So when it finally came time for her to foal, she didn't change her mind. The foal is born. He's healthy. We named him Bali. He's big red and white colt, beautiful colt. And of course, that's the one my daughter wanted to keep for herself. That's how life works. But she still didn't want me to have anything to do with him. And I realized she has locked the death of that foal last year. It connected with me, who I am personally to her. There's no telling her any different. She had herself convinced. So over the first month of Bali's life, I gave her space, but I'm in the barn, right? I'm saddling up, I'm riding, I'm taking other horses out, I'm foaling other mares out. I mean, I'm in the barn. And anytime I was around, she'd push him to the offside of her next to the wall. She'd do anything to keep me away from her baby. And it was tragic for me, really painful for me to realize that that's where she was. And it didn't matter if I went in and, you know, we had a halter rope on her and somebody holding her and I could scratch his back and make friends with him. It didn't matter. She imprinted to him, you can trust everybody in the world, but not her. And so what happened is he grew up, he would weave, which if you're not a horseman, it means lean all his weight on his front right hoof and then all his weight on the front left and then all his weight on the front right, kind of back and forth. And he'd weave like that if he heard my voice or he saw me. And that was the whole, the horse's whole life. He did this because of course my daughter wanted to keep him. I remember seeing that. You remember seeing him do that? It was tragic. And he didn't do it. He didn't weave for anybody else. And so he stayed sound. Otherwise he wouldn't have. And uh, I just gave him a ton of space, you know. I remember seeing him do that at Mark's Ranch. When I showed when up. You would show Years up. later, like he was 18, I think, when we went out to Mark's Ranch where he was being kept at the time. And yeah, I would show up. Mark had never seen anything like it. He'd realize who was there and he'd begin to weave. Now I rode him and I was with him and I tried to get him over it and I gave him baths. I did everything I could. But to be honest, his mom had convinced him and I wanted to respect that it wasn't comfortable for him. So kind of a sad thing. The reason I tell that whole story is because if you doubt if horses have emotions, please don't doubt that. They have deep, deep, deep emotions. They have memories in a different way than we do. Maybe one podcast I'll talk about the human brain versus the equine brain. They operate quite differently. But he and the mare, the mare I ended up taking on to a different breeder. I traded a different breeder who I trusted to have Tripoli and I took another mare named Mariposa for me and we just swapped out because I felt it was also very cruel to breed her again and keep her where she wasn't feeling safe when she fold. So they have deep emotions and they connect an imprint of a photo in their brain, a moment that they snap the camera and they add up two and two and that is their truth and that is where they are. And it's the only time I made that mistake in my life. <laughs> it was so costly, but it it was a deep one. And I think the answer is to, for me anyway, was to rectify it in every way that I could and stay very conscious to that. So 
breeding the best mares to the best stallions that are possible, having the best experience for the mare when she's foaling. So now the other 99 times, right, that I had foals, they went really, really well. And I always felt close with all my brood mares who spent their life out in a big pasture. They had a giant big grassy pasture. They were allowed once they were far enough in foal to just go out and be a horse until it was time to bring them in. They always had all their vaccinations. They need special vaccinations for the foal as they're going through it. I had a great breeding crew that would make a really fun podcast to chat about sometime. My wonderful, wonderful breeding crew. So when the foals are being born, if the breeder is fortunate to have a barn, then I do think the best thing in my case was always to bring the mares in where there were multiple mares getting ready to foal and foaling. So we usually had minimum of three, you know, to five mares at any one time that their due dates were close enough because we'd have usually 15 foals per season. So a good percentage of them were in the barn at any one time. And we were watching watching them for all those signs of foaling from softening around their tail dock, dropping, getting ready to produce milk. Certainly there's many, many signs that a mare gives that she's ready to give birth to that foal and making sure that they had the most successful and most healthy foal outs that we possibly could. Rarely did I miss a foaling and even more rarely did I need to be a part of it. Mares on average are in acute labor for a half an hour to 45 minutes. It's not like humans. And I do believe part of that is because mares don't have our ability to be neurotic, right? So we overthink things and we know the pain is coming. And so it's much more difficult. Pain and humans is a deeper connection. For horses, there's a lot of natural acceptance of what's happening in their body and natural acceptance when they would have a labor pain. They weren't even really labeling it pain until the very end of the foaling process. So for the most part, they can regulate their foaling. If the weather's bad, they don't foal. If they're nervous about something in the barn that's different, they don't fall. They can control it. They can actually, for a, quite a while, really control it until they believe it's a super time to have that baby. And that's why in out in the wild or in nature, they'll usually fall about an hour to two hours before the sun comes up. And the reason for that is the mare wants the baby born in the dark because it's a safer time for them with predators and for that to be up on all fours, have drank their first milk, be attached to them for following them and be ready to run if necessary. So that's the natural way uh, most mares will fall very early, 4 a.m., etc. The more domesticated the mare, I have had mares who have fold at four in the afternoon and got it over with before dinner, you know. So, uh, but those are really, really, really domesticated mares that have a long lineage of doing that. Touched by a Horse offers three comprehensive programs giving you the ability to have the career you've always dreamed about, working in partnership with the magic of horses. Our Equine Facilitator Program provides you with the skills to build a thriving business hosting group experiences with horses. 
Our Equine Gestaltist program prepares you to open your own private Gestalt practice in partnership with horses. And our Master Equine Gestaltist program builds your Gestalt skills both in and outside the round pen. All of our programs include in-depth live classes, business growth training, and a supportive community of herd members to collaborate with and learn from. Visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com to learn more about which program is right for you and your healing herd. So having the mare have this simple, loving, easy, safe way that she's been in the barn for two weeks. She knows the routine of the barn. She knows who is usually in the barn, keeping things quiet, keeping a nice, safe place so she can relax and have this foal. And like I say, very rarely do humans need to be a part of it. As a breeder, I'll tell you there are six positions that a foal can show up in and only one or two are any good. So you can have the crisis foals where they're coming out the wrong way, a way that's going to harm the mare or harm the foal, their necks turned around backwards. There are reasons why humans sometimes need to get involved, you know, and it's, that's again, a whole nother topic, but there are reasons why we have to. However, 95% of the time you really don't, you're going to make it worse if you're doing any other than standing there, make sure they come out. The best way and the normal way and the way most foals come out and the way you want, it looks as if they're sort of diving out. So the mare lays down, she may get up and down a couple times, then she finally lays down. Sometimes she'll lay out all the way flat with her neck flat. Other times she'll keep her head up. It's her comfortability. And when the foal starts to come out, you see the sack first in the water, and then you see two little hooves, and the hooves are upright. So they're the way you would see a hoof on a horse that's standing on the ground. They're the top of the hoof is what you're seeing come out. Sometimes one hoof is extended forward and the other hoof is back just a little bit, but like just a little bit, a few inches. And they're kind of like diving out of mom. And then you see the knees. And by then you should start seeing the muzzle and the nose and the head and the ears. And they're just so adorable. And then pretty much she gives one more push and they're out with shoulders, hips, and all these legs. And you wonder, how did all that fit inside my pretty mare? So then the mare is happy to have that out for sure. There's a whole lot more on breeding and if you have questions, write to me and I'm happy to assist anybody that has mares that are getting ready to foal. It's exciting. It's nerve wracking. It's fun. And there's nothing cuter. Within a very short period of time, that mare has cleared the airway for that foal. She's encouraged him to break through the sack and get up on his feet. She should be up on her feet. And you do not want to see your mare laying down again, unless she's passing placenta. She could lay down one more time and pass placenta. After that, if your mare's laying down, that is a red flag. So you want your mare to be up and on her feet and beginning to feel stationary on her feet and the foal to find the milk teat and to begin to nurse and get all that colostrum. It's important that the mares have a chance with their baby to bond without humans being in the stall. So every breeder has a different feeling about this. For me, I want to see that baby without human touch 
for the first number of hours. I want to see him nursing and I want to see him really being normal and going over to her and finding her and kind of observing, you know, how that foal and mare are bonding and attaching. And then from there, it's fine. We need to go in. Sometimes your vet will ask you to give the foal an enema to clear the last of his meconium out. And sometimes you want to go in and make sure veterinary wise, whatever your vet has asked you to do for the foal, that that's done. But real imprinting of a foal, I don't like to do until I know that mother and foal are really together. So a good 12 to 24 hours beyond what you have to do for veterinary care is ideal. And your mare needs some help and she needs some care and some things to be checked out as well. So that's that first incoming time. After that begins imprinting. And imprinting is one of those processes, again, that breeders all do differently. Some don't do it at all. I can tell a horse when I meet a horse, a horse I've never seen before, I can tell you in the first 10 minutes if they were imprinted or not, for the most part, and most trainers can, because the imprinting does some very important things for the emotional feelings of the horse. Imprinting to their mama first, that's the most important. Imprinting to you second is also important. Whether you plan to keep the baby or the baby is a production foal and you're going to sell the baby and move the baby on one day, either way, the imprinting helps that baby understand that interaction with humans is going to be a positive thing. So our way of imprinting was every two hours and we kept a clipboard on the outside of the stall and whoever did the last imprinting would say what time and how it went. And we charted all of it because we would have so many foals born at a time. And in our way of imprinting, we would first enter the stall and stand still. So allowing the mare to be in charge of the situation. First time mares need a little bit more time sometimes with you. They want you to approach them first and make sure they check out your energy field. You shouldn't just go after their baby. In other words, we're a predator and you don't want to give them that feeling. So go in the stall and take three deep breaths. Just center yourself, slow your roll. There's no rush. It's really about making sure that baby has the best experience with a human in the stall as they can. Some foals come loping right over on those long legs, 12, 15 hours old, and they're right over to you with great curiosity. Let them sniff you, see you, whatever they want. Others run to the far side of mom. You know, they're they're going to have a little bit more timid way and they're going to take mom's advice for it. Be okay, you know, with whatever is there. Just be present to it. When your mare is comfortable move yourself more into the center of the stall. And I used to watch the mare, but if she was fine with it, I would crouch down. So my eyes were the same height as the baby. Now, a brand new, beautiful, cute as they can be colt can wheel around and kick quickly. So you've got to always be on your guard and be ready for them to express themselves with those little tiny hooves that hurt if you get kicked. So you want to be smart about it. But most of your foals come over curious, ears up, 
little nostrils flaring. They want to check you out as much as you're really wanting to get your hands on them as well. So that's your introduction. And one of the best introductions is to softly blow into their nostrils. Just really ever so softly exchange breath. Take a deep breath of what comes from their nostrils and breathe slowly and gently into theirs. Exchange information at a level that they can understand. And most horses, most baby, new baby foals are really happy happy with that exchange. It's a much gentler exchange than exchanging touch or anything else quite yet. Then after you've exchanged breath for a second or two, bring your eyes to their eyes just to look into their eyes and have them look into yours, then lower your eyes back to the ground. So you're not in any way too aggressive or assertive, but you're just meeting them. It's a social meeting. They have no teeth when they're born. So you can put your fingers up and some of them will lick or suck on your fingers just to kind of taste you and see what you're all about. Some want to do that on your face because they're curious about the horse face versus your face. And so let them explore you as much as you're exploring them. And for me, by the time they're about 24 to 30 hours old, I want to be able to put my hands all over their body. I want to be able to scratch their rump. I want to be able to slide my arm over their back and around their belly like a cinch will be one day. Have the halter on. I don't leave the halter on because I don't want them to get a hind leg caught in the halter. But they wear the halter for 10 or 15 minutes several times a day while we're in the stall with them and to get that feeling of like, oh, you're here. That's great. And they're happy to see you and they should be thinking of it like, oh, this is great. This is my playtime with my human and I have my time with my mom. So what we did was two hours, 24 hours a day, every two hours we went down and whoever was on the imprinting would go in and follow this protocol with the babies. By the time they're 48 hours old, you can be lifting a hoof and knocking with your knuckles on the bottom of their hoof. They're one day going to stand quiet for a farrier. You can begin with one rope around their rump, leading them in the stall with your mare right there in the stall. So there's a lot to be said for this intimate interaction between the human and the foal that the foal learns every time a human comes in, they are kind, they are patient, they are fun they're interesting. They're sweet to me. They're sweet to my mama. My mama's calm. A lot of mares by the third or fourth day, they look at you like you're the babysitter. And they're like, oh, thank goodness, you know, keep him occupied for a few minutes while I finish my breakfast or have my second cup of coffee. So the mares learn quickly that that's also going to be good for their foal as well. A maiden mare, a mare that's had her first baby, I would suggest to you that you do put a halter and lead rope on the mare. You have one person who's softly holding your mare while you're imprinting your foal to keep yourself safe and to keep your mare safe in that process so she doesn't make a mistake and, you know, chase you out of the because that, that can happen with a maiden mare. They're more overprotective. Once they've had a few foals, again, they look at you and say, this is great. Thank you for occupying his time for 10 minutes so that I can have a little relaxation and do what I'd like to do. So there's a lot to the imprint process. Imprinting even the first 72 hours changes the course of that horse's life their whole life. And many, many, many horses are not imprinted. So I'll tell you that 
the way I can tell a horse is imprinted is usually by showing them the back of my hand and noticing how that stirs those memory cells. What's their approach to the back of my hand? Are they taking their left nostril and then their right nostril and then their left and then their right drinking in information? Are they exchanging breath with me and interested in exchanging breathing together? Are they comfortable immediately to new sights, sounds, and things of me being around there? And all of that happens in horses that have been imprinted when they meet a stranger. And horses that haven't can be fabulous horses, but everything that is new for them is a little bit more difficult for them to assimilate, you know, a little more standoffish, slightly more difficult for them to assimilate, depending on what happens in their life. So where's daddy all this time? Where's that stallion? What's his role in all of this? So I love, love, loved seeing my stallion's response to their foals. We did not bring the stallion down to the maternity ward for the stallion to see his baby because the mare really doesn't want that. She is concerned. She wants to protect her baby. And so it's not like in humans where sure, daddy hold the baby. It's not like that at all. However, when a little time goes by and the stallions maybe in his stall and you walk the mare in full by, which we'll talk about in another podcast, what's the safe way to do that. But you walk that mare by, she may pin her ears at him and act all tough, but she's proud of that baby. And he's proud of that baby. He'll puff his chest up and he'll make all his head shaking and his noises and be all that, you know, big papa daddy proud of his child as he should be. And they never take an eye off him. They're thrilled that their mare is okay. They're thrilled that their baby is okay. And they are proud of their offspring. There's no doubt about it. Uh, everything that they communicate to that mare is that way. So it's really a very sweet process all in all. So we'd have these 15 babies in the spring for many, many, many years of my life. I looked forward to the breeding season. I looked forward to the foaling season. It gave a routine, you know, to my whole year. And over time in these podcasts, we'll talk a little bit about next steps with the mares and the foals, because there's several next steps, like how do you get them out the stall safely? And, you know, how do you get them turned out somewhere safely without them hurting themselves and all of these kind of things. But today I wanted to broach the subject of what does it take to have a foal produced in a breeder's barn and make it a healthy, happy, emotionally sound experience. And then thank you for letting me share the story of the deepest mistake I ever made with Tripoli and the uh, life that it created for Bali and myself to go in there. I had the honor of having seven of the top stallions across the United States at my breeding barn in Arizona. Two were my personal horses. Go Robin Barr and, and the others, but the others were stallions that their owners entrusted to me and my breeding team. And we would bring mares in from all over the country, as well as collect semen and ship all over the world. So some were sport horses, some were, you know, they're just all different horses that were there and, and all the different mares that were there. And at one point we'd have 70 or 80 mares on site that we were checking to see when they were ready to be bred. And believe me, if you're a guy listening, 
listening to this podcast, the mare isn't bred till the mare says yes. In in horse world, the mare gives all kinds of signals and signs when she's ready. And not until then, that stallion is not going to take his way with her until she says, absolutely, I'm on board with our plan. So the interesting part of breeding is really learning all of those signs, all those signals, both physical and emotional, and to help the ego of some of the stallions when they'd come down, they'd do what's called teasing the mares, and it wasn't their day to breed, and they'd go back pretty darn discouraged. And then the day that they knew that their mare, they were teasing out of the group, said yes, they were excited, extraordinarily excited. So we did both live cover and artificial, and depending on what the stallion owner wanted was how we decided that. So some of them, the dollar value of the stallion is so high that they want it to be artificial. And there's actually an artificial dummy that is in the breeding barn. And we would take some of the scent of the mare, place that on the dummy. The stallion actually mounts the dummy and is collected from there. And then it's placed into the mare, certainly safer. And then there were live cover. And in the live cover, you could really see the stallions who had been raised to be a live cover breeder. My horse Gobar was when he was young. They took this risk with him and they turned him out as a two-year-old with a bunch of very, very, very seasoned broodmares that knew the game. And they schooled him. They taught him, oh, no, 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 young man. And it was a rough and painful lesson for him. But he learned and he became a respectful stallion who was very honoring of the mares and went about it in a super, super respectful way. So it was good. And he didn't smoke a cigar afterwards. So it was all good. So that's what I have to say about that today. How about you? You didn't know half of this, did you, babe? I did not. But I remember you telling me a story about Gobar passing out at one time. Oh, it wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't him, but you've got a good memory. It wasn't (laughs) him. It was a big gray tracaner, which who was huge. He was really, really tall, big, gorgeous horse, worth a bunch of money, big sport horse, beauty guy, dressage horse. And, and he was a young stallion and he was artificial insemination only because of his dollar value. And it would literally take two of my helpers, we were an all-female crew, one on one side of him with a lead rope and one on the other side of him to bring him down. He was like leading an airplane. Most of the time, he was just a big, gentle pussycat. But when he knew it was his turn to be collected for breeding, he got a little excited. So he'd come down and he would mount that dummy. And that's the story you're remembering. He'd mount that dummy. And when he ejaculated, he passed out cold and he had to be 16, 50 pounds, at least a big horse. And all of us would hold him up so he didn't fall on the ground until he came to. And I'd rub his face and rub his face, say, come on, buddy, come back, come back. And he'd open his eyes like, what just happened? So that's what you remember (laughs) as a man. See the fun questions he asked me on this podcast. Those are the stories he remembers. But yeah, he he was a trip. He'd pass out for sure. So I don't know what his problem was, but it was fun. So I can't wait on our next podcast. I think we'll take it 
to the next step on this journey of, okay, so now you have this little baby and a mom and it's imprinted and it's inside the stall and it's wearing a halter. How do you safely get this baby outside? And that's, believe it or not, if you've had foals, that's a scary day. You know, what do you do next? And how do you do it where that foal is really emotionally secure. Eventually in this series, I will speak to those of you who have found your horse partners when they're much older. You don't know what happened to them as a baby. You have no idea what happened to them. And now you have this full-grown horse that you suspect maybe has some emotional trauma. And what do you do about that? So we will get there, but I'm going to go through the series uh, painstakingly clear on the breeding process and how do you raise them emotionally to begin with? Make sense? Yes, it does. All right. Don't forget a shout out. Oh, shout out. Thank you for reminding me. Hope Through Horses is our sponsor for this podcast. Hope Through Horses is a nonprofit of incredibly beautiful people who are standing in the world as a nonprofit to assist people who want to either get assistance in tuition into our program to become a light worker and coach in our EGC method, but also for our coaches to be able to say, I have some clients who I want to work with and they can't afford the fee, is it possible that Hope Through Horses could assist with that? And they help our graduates with all kinds of projects and things. And we deeply thank Hope Through Horses for supporting Touch by a Horse in the kind ways that they do. And one of which is making this podcast uh, affordable for us to do. Thank you, hopethroughhorses.com. Amen. 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 All right. Well, thanks you guys for listening and we'll hope to be with you again soon and we'll carry our journey of breeding stories back out on our podcast thanks you guys bye-bye bye thank you for listening to the touched by a horse podcast if you'd like more information about anything we've talked about on the show today or our certification program please visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com that's touchedbyahorse.com or contact our office by phone at 303 303- Four four zero seven one two five. Also, be sure to keep up with us on social media. We're at Touched by a Horse on both Facebook and Instagram. See you around the barn and on the next episode.